Hey, thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. To unlock the ad-free extended version of this episode, sign up at patreon.com slash thecreateunknown, and you'll get the rest of August 2019 for free. If you're listening to this and it's no longer August 2019, what's the future like? This episode is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown to get a free audiobook and stay tuned for my book recommendation. That's audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. Now on to the show. Hey, welcome to the Create Unknown. I am Kevin Lieber. With me, as always, is Matthew Tabor. And we're going to get into a meme that is supposed to be inspirational, but instead just angered the two of us. Well, I would say it caused me to maybe like wrinkle my nose. And it caused you, it caused you, Matt, I think, to want to put your face through the wall. Is that accurate? It was, it was bad. It's, some of the worst advice you're ever going to get in your life. But everybody's talking about it as if it's the best possible advice you're going to get. No, it's absolutely wrong. It's terrible. It's heart attack inducing, <laughs> uh, which I, I suppose if it if it does that, you don't need advice from the grave. But uh, that's the only upside to this. If it actually kills you, that's the only way you win with this advice is if it kills you. <laughs> so I thought it would make you put your head through a wall, but it's actually uh, causing you to to leave this mortal realm. It's that bad for you. That's right. It's uh, The stakes are a lot higher than just smashing your head against a wall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're going to get into that. First, I wanted to give a shout out to a great comment that we got from Caleb Robertson in our last podcast. Mm. Towards the end of it, I started sort of noodling with the idea of YouTube creators getting purchased in such a way or like a long-term sponsorship by a production company or a brand as a means of dealing with demonetization or or, or that sort of thing. And Caleb actually brought up a bunch of different scenarios over the years that that he's seen worked that are in the same ballpark as what I was talking about, but I think they're each their own different case in such a way that it's a lot to talk about. So, for instance, he mentioned Film Riot only having one sponsor, Domain.com. Also, Real Engineering always being sponsored by Brilliant.org. And I think that that's a really interesting scenario, but maybe not exactly what I was mm -hmm. talking about, if that makes sense. And also the PBS digital studios sponsoring a, a bunch of people, supporting a bunch of people so that they can make the channels that they had been making. You know, they came under that umbrella. So yeah, in that comment, there were all of these things that kind of were tangential to that idea that we were talking about. They were all offshoots of it. And I think you're right that everything he listed there it's they're like the roots and the the branches and twigs and all of that stuff of that central idea and thinking about that in terms of how sponsorships used to be and i mean really used to be like radio shows in the 40s that kind of thing it, we're actually coming back to some of those same relationships which you and i watched because we're 97 years old so you know we watched howdy doody and <laughs> 
What was the example that we talked about before we started recording? Like the Alka-Seltzer hour or whatever? Oh, yeah. I just I just made something up. But you know what? Here's a, a slight a slight leak to our patrons. Uh, one of the things that, that I'll send out to some people is uh, uh, some postcards from 1945's Kellogg's Breakfast Hour. But that's exactly... The thing that we were just talking about, where Kellogg's Serial uh, had a radio show with a guy, I think his name was Tom Brenneman. Uh, he was the host. And it was a show weekly brought to you by Kellogg's Serial. Uh, there were a lot of those through the 40s and 50s and even into the 60s where a brand was, they were sponsoring the content. They were the featured supporter of everything. But it's not like the whole show was about their content. You know, they threw an ad read in about I'm sure how Kellogg's was the most nutritious thing you could eat. Um, and, and for those who have just discovered the truth about cornflakes, a meme that's going around, uh, there's there's a little more delicious irony to this. But uh, anyway, it's that same kind of relationship. And some of those are coming back in a way that's a little bit different because it's 2019. But the basics of, of it are exactly the same. That's what some of those brands and Caleb's comment, really what they're doing to support content. So, you know, congratulations. We're back to 1942. We are. And I guess that's because it worked well then and it, and it can work well now. It reminds me, I remember my dad told me one time about segments being sponsored by cigarettes by like Lucky oh, yeah. Strike or whatever. And it'd be, you know, some variety show where Ed Wynn would come out and just start smoking and just talk about like the smooth, crisp smoke of Lucky Strike or whatever. Could you imagine that happening today where like, I don't know, Phil DeFranco all of a sudden just like lights up in the middle of his daily show and just starts puffing away and talking about Marbreds. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. I can see him. I can see him on a, a pack of cigarettes. I can see him. Yeah, on on a cereal. I can see him on cinnamon toast. Well, you can literally see him on cereal toast. That's that's not just your dream, Matt. That dream became a reality. But anyway, that is all to say a few things. First, Caleb, thank you so much for the comment. Uh, not only will we be discussing questions and comments from our patrons on this show or our Discord members, but also just on the YouTube video, because we really appreciate the feedback mm -hmm. from you guys. And it is also to say that I want to really dive into this comment and this idea with a guest, with by interviewing somebody from the brand side or the business side, because look, I have the creator perspective on this, on working with brands and how it should work and how it shouldn't work. But what I'd really like to hear, what I think would be most valuable for all of us is sitting down with somebody on the brand side or the business side to say, hey, like cute idea that you have there, Kevin, on how, how this whole thing should work or shouldn't work. But here's the reality of the situation. You know, here's the bottom line for a company doing these sponsorships, because that's a perspective that I think is integral to this discussion. And there's some basics, too, about how sponsorship works at all. Like, I don't think too many people who watch videos or who watch TV uh, even understand how something other than a straight up retail product works. So, like, if there's a sponsorship where a company is saying, uh, let's say it's a video game and they get somebody to make a video that's going to drop on release day. The obvious goal is for people to buy and download that game. That's really 100% clear to everybody. But if there's something like a TV commercial for like 
hernia mesh or like some of those things. You know, I look at that and I think, okay, don't the people who need this kind of thing know about it from their doctor? Like nobody who doesn't need hernia mesh or like lawsuits or something is watching this commercial and being like, oh, that sounds interesting. Today's the day I'm going to call the number. No, but there's obviously value to whatever brand that is. Or, you know, some of the weird drugs that are on that are advertised, some of the prescription drugs. Like you'd think that people would know about these pills for pretty highly specific diseases and afflictions. Like, why do you need a commercial to present that to the audience? Right. But there's clearly value to the brand. Otherwise, they would not advertise in that way. So that's that's a relationship between a brand and a bunch of content, because that's going into uh, some time slot, some specific show for a reason. Uh, And that's not totally dissimilar from from what you're talking about with looking at it from the brand side. Uh, It would be awesome to find somebody who's, you know, energetic and responsive in a way, and they're not just crunching numbers and can go over some of this stuff. That would be awesome. What you just reminded me of is I've always found it really strange, and I'm sure it makes perfect sense, and I hope that somebody listening out there knows exactly the answer to this, but I always found it bizarre that there are commercials for things like cheese. Like, not a specific, not like Sargento. Not like Sargento is like, hey, we're Sargento, we're a family business, and we've been making cheese for 100 years, so buy Sargento cheese. No, the commercial is literally just like, cheese, get get some cheese, it's delicious, or, or like avocados. That was uh, the Got Milk ad campaign. That was just like the whatever advocacy group handles dairy, you know? It's like, hey, milk is a better option than all those other things you can swallow, you know, like, <laughs> you know, go buy whatever brand I of milk. I wish that was the commercial. <laughs> I wish that was the actual tagline. Better than all that other stuff you could swallow. <laughs> I know that would have went over really well. But I want to know. I want to know more about these, like, like the milk, cheese, avocado mafia that gets together millions and millions of dollars of money to create these gigantic ad campaigns to remind people like, hey, cheese is a thing that you could eat. Do you like eating? (laughs) Try cheese. That's one of the things that you could eat. And we would love if you ate more of it. That just seems so bizarre to me. And I want more information about how and why those things happen. It must be, is it like a union thing? Are there like, avocado unions where they get more money if more people buy avocados there are uh, industry like industry groups right uh, that um I, I can't think of the term on this uh but like that's the that's the thing for the got milk and the, the dairy stuff I, I don't know if it's like american dairy council or whatever like who knows uh but their responsibility is to promote the industry um some do that better than others, but but you'll get it as highly specific as as cheese, as, as opposed to like, uh, you know, well, I mean, I guess milk is just as specific as as cheese. But uh, yeah, it's just their responsibility to raise the awareness for whatever their thing is. And it could be avocados. It could be, well, California raisins was, uh, I think that was, uh, you know, the agricultural like raisin wing of California. I don't, you know, I don't know. Uh, but it, I don't think it was a specific company. So, and that was really effective. Uh, who knows what it did to raisins? I don't know. Um, but 
it works, you know, like it works uh, like with California and wines. That was a really successful one because I don't think people for decades even thought of California as a wine producing place. Uh, you know, most people I bet couldn't name a lot of specific brands that come out of California, but they know that, oh, there's like wine valleys in California. That's definitely a thing, just like in France. So that was really successful, and I'm sure a lot of businesses have benefited from that. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I want no. I, I just want more information about about like like you know what my favorite commercial is. Okay, and I hope <laughs> that everyone has seen this commercial. And if you haven't, I'm sure it's on YouTube. I, I I'm not sure exactly what you would search, but here's how it goes. The commercial is for um, children exercising. I actually think it's about bones. <laughs> I think it's I think it's about children's bones. <laughs> this is just sounds. Is that what they're selling? So, it sounds so macabre. They're selling children's bones. No, I think it's some group that's worried about osteoporosis. Okay, and they're trying to get kids more active. So that their bones don't deteriorate so quickly. Okay. Here's the commercial. And it, this commercial is old, yet somehow it continues to air regularly and they haven't updated it. This is how old it is. The kid is playing a Super Nintendo in the commercial. Okay. okay? Super Nintendo, which since then we've had N64, GameCube, Wii, Wii U, and now we're up to Switch. So that was five console generations ago. So it's got to be like 1994, give or take. Does that sound right? The, the question to me is whether uh, it was created during the Super Nintendo era or the people who made it were, were, were just such boomers. They were like, <laughs> well, this is a Nintendo. <laughs> that was like all they knew, you know? So that that's there are two possibilities there. It's actually that old or it was just made by people completely out of touch. Okay. And that was all they knew uh, to give the kid that represented video games. So anyway, it's this 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 boy. And this boy is clearly very lazy. It shows him using a button to open up the garage door as if that's like an indication of laziness. It shows him, I believe standing in a circle, like blowing leaves with a leaf blower instead of using like a rake. Okay. And then it shows him, I actually think he's sitting down like, like in the backyard, just like blowing leaves around. (laughs) He's not even standing. And then the laziest thing that he does is that he's like sitting down holding the leash to his dog while his dog walks on a treadmill. Okay. So he can't even be bothered to walk the dog. But that's not the best part. And it's not why I love this commercial so much. The best part is that at some point he whips out like the first flip phone ever invented and he dials a number and he calls someone. He calls his grandma, who's in the other room. This boy lives with his, his elderly grandma, who I believe needs like a cane even just to walk. And the phone ringing, because she doesn't have a cell phone, the phone is in the kitchen. You know, it's a wall phone, it's a landline in the kitchen. So his grandma is like knitting in the living room, minding her own business. The phone rings. She has to get up and like trudge 
her elderly body <laughs> across the house to answer the phone. And who's calling but her grandson, who she has to pass, <laughs> mind you, to, to answer the phone. Okay. Her grandson asking her to get him another grape soda. That's the commercial. That's like the end. And it's like, you know, paid for by the osteoporosis <laughs> warriors of America. So you just described like 43% of, of everybody who uses 4chan. <laughs> yeah, if, if, Maybe that's where they got the idea for 4chan. If instead of, uh, instead of grape soda, it was, it was tendies. Then we have like half the green texts on that site. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's my favorite commercial. Please look it up. I'm not sure what you would Google or or what you would search in the YouTube field, but <laughs> I'll here. Listen, I will find it. I'll find it. I'll put a link in the description to this video, and I'll put a link in Discord. I'll post it in the Patreon. Uh, I'll do a public post in the Patreon so you can see it there. Will you get a tattoo of of the best scene in the commercial, though? Like all the way across your back? Uh, all the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah, across my stomach, like thug life, <laughs> like Tupac. <laughs> yeah. To relate it's this so good. to relate this to to YouTube stuff though, it actually is kind of related. These general things, like that's clearly a campaign for healthy activity and this and that, uh, which is a pretty nebulous thing. Like I don't even know how they'd measure the impact of an ad like that. You couldn't. But this is the kind of thing that happens in in your world, where you know uh, places and YouTube itself wants to promote. Uh, STEM education, science education, engineering, technology, just all of this stuff. Like they're absolutely kind of general awareness campaigns where it's like, hey, let's get kids into math um, without having a, a really highly specific, uh, highly specific like avenue or goal on that kind of thing. So that definitely exists. All right, and we're back after that little fun snafu where I did not plug the uh, laptop in, so the battery died, so everything shut off, and uh, it was a bit of a surprise, And but not that bad of a surprise. It could have been a lot worse. I basically just had to plug the thing in. <laughs> so it froze on my end. I knew there was a problem when I saw your face, like you were like lunging at the computer, and it's like... Like the, and it froze there, and I hear nothing. I see no movement, and I'm like, "Oh, something's happened here." But I didn't hear like a gun go off or anything. I mean, I knew it wasn't awful, but I thought actually the, the computer yeah. it, it had like started to fall or something like that. But anyway, it it you you call it snafu, uh, Dave, who who has to do a little editing magic, probably calls it something else. Uh, a little bit more on the disastrous side, but this is, this stuff happens all the time. I don't think people realize <laughs> like, like if you work from home, this isn't even a YouTube thing, right? If you work from home, your life is a series of, of like comedic disasters every single day, just dumb things happen over and over. And as, so as this was happening, I'm looking down at my phone, uh, thinking that Kevin's computer is out of commission. I'm going to get a message on my phone instead. I'm looking down. I'm like, oh, 
yeah, my fly's been down and <laughs> probably all day long. I'm like, this is, this is the life. This is what happens. Yeah. This is my you, existence. You just walk around like a total mess, embarrassing yourself in front of your cat <laughs> and your dog. That's right. <laughs> the, the pets know all of this stuff and they, they definitely judge us. They're like, oh. How did I, how did I get paired up with this one? You know, there are so many stories that I have too, about making videos, making YouTube videos and having the littlest thing go wrong. So like the thing unplugging is nothing compared to, I had a cowlick once in a video. <laughs> I did a video. It was, it was the video on Vsauce 2 was initially called The Water Fountain UP, and it's now called The Invention of Toilets, I think. We changed the title just yeah. to kind of blend it in with the other videos into a series. So it kind of made more sense as it being, uh, as each of these videos being part of, of a series. Can we change that again, by the way? Because the invention of poo poo pee pee would be <laughs> pretty good. Like, I think, I think you do that. You change thumbnail to Pepe on the toilet, mm. maybe throw in little PewDiePie face and you've got a good video. And then I get the most dislikes that I've ever gotten on Vsauce 2 <laughs> because <laughs> nobody yeah. clicking that is going to get what they wanted. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they won't, but it would be. But you would be amused and that's all that matters. Yeah, when it pops up in my feed again, I I'm going to lose it. I I'm going to go insane over how good that is. And I'll just keep smashing the like button, even though it only registers once. Yeah. Uh, probably break my phone in the process and therefore I will stimulate the economy when I buy a new one. So if you care about America, if you're a real American, Kevin, You'll do this. How, how did this go from from Pepe <laughs> to weird nationalism? <laughs> Look, I, let me let me finish my story. It's a global. It's a global economy. It's not even an American economy. It's a global economy where we are. We're just lifting everyone uh, one Pepe that's thumbnail right. at a time out of poverty. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. But no. Let me talk about my cowlick because here's what happened. Mm. I had this cowlick sticking up and flopping around for the entire video. The video is I shot next to a toilet, okay? And in the beginning of the video, I drank out, I drank water out of the toilet. So, as you do, right, as I do on a daily basis, it's where water comes from. The toilet. <laughs> when you're thirsty, that's that's the go-to. <laughs> it's just like a <laughs> toilets are just like big glasses of water. Basically. <laughs> so anyway, when I saw the cowlick, I just sank because I did not want to reshoot this video. I didn't want to drink more toilet water. I didn't want it to do to do it really that much <laughs> to begin with. But I, I went through with it. I got it on camera. And then this horrible, like embarrassing, distracting cowlick was just dangling and flopping around the whole time. So luckily, Eric Langley, our VFX master at Vsauce, rotoscoped, like painstakingly went through and removed my cowlick from every single clip in that video. And it took him literally all night. I think I finally got the folder of the new files at about maybe like four or five o'clock in the morning. 
And nobody knew about that. You just you just watch the video yeah. of me drinking toilet water and you never think for a second that a cowlick caused somebody else to have a really long night just to avoid mm-hmm. all of the comments from people understandably being like, your hair is really distracting or like, mm-hmm. you know, why didn't you reshoot this and comb your hair or wh- whatever it it would have been. It couldn't go out like that. We've talked in the past, we mentioned the potato paradox thing, didn't we? Where that level of detail, you talk about nobody notices that or knows that uh, something as as simple or insignificant as a cowlick is going to take hours and hours. You know, the level of detail or the, the amount of time that you put in uh, to make sure that every detail is hit is is tremendous because if there's something that's slightly off – uh, somebody's going to notice, and with the amount of views that that your videos get, if um, yeah, if like one in ten thousand people notices, that means like fifty to a hundred people are going to notice, maybe more, and that's a lot of people. Imagine a hundred people surrounding you in a room, like screaming at you for screwing something up. Uh, and in the potato paradox, at a certain point, if 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 you guys haven't seen this video, Kevin dumps a bag of 100 little potatoes onto the table and one of them rolls off. And for one frame, like it's got to be a single frame. You see this potato (laughs) just jumping off in a little blurry ball off, off the edge of the table. And how many people pointed out like, uh, Hey, at uh, three forty-seven, you know, you're down to 99 potatoes at that point. Uh, I definitely saw that potato roll off the table. Yeah. <laughs> so like even a detail that insignificant, uh, you know, somebody's going to pick up. So you do whatever you can to make sure that those little foibles and those little problems don't happen. And it's a lot of effort. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of stress too. If you care about, about being uh, as, as good as you can be. Well, because it only takes one person to notice a thing, but then as soon as they point it out, everyone is going to thumbs up that (laughs) comment and they'll all (laughs) notice it. It's like when you learn a new word and all of a sudden you you hear that word everywhere. Well, that word just didn't suddenly manifest. It's like you just learned it, so now you're noticing it all the time. Or if you get a new car and all of a sudden you notice your car everywhere. You're like, well, I just got yeah. this like Toyota Camry and now all I see is everybody has a Toyota Camry. It's just like once a thing becomes something that you notice, then then you because we are obsessed with patterns and noticing things – you just see it everywhere and then it just snowballs. So I just made a connection here in my head about what you're talking about and something uh, TCU related, right? So you're talking about these little things that are tremendous problems during your day, whether uh, again, you work at home, like, uh, you know, some of the people uh, in, in our discord, they're working at home all day where they're working on you know art projects at home, uh, whatever. Some people uh, are actually doing YouTube stuff specifically, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter if you're doing you know what you're doing, as long as you're in that that home setting. And all this all this kind of stuff goes wrong. And I just remembered that a couple of weeks ago dropped a video called "Click or My Eyes Explode." You actually almost exploded your eyes. You narrowly, narrowly avoided having your eyes explode. 
Well, my eyes have been exploding for years now, and I... It's a slow burn. It's a slow burn. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> They're just smoldering in my skull. So, you know, obviously, I wear corrective lenses. I'm nearsighted. I can't see things that are far away. And these glasses, you know, magnify the world for me so that I can see it in, uh, you know, crystalline, clear detail. But I also stare at a computer all day and have done so for, you know, t the better part of 10 years. That's beginning to catch up with me and my eyes have just gotten really, really tired throughout the day. And they're kind of tired all day, but it gets really like almost incapacitating by the afternoon. And about a year or so ago, I bought blue light blocking glasses mm -hmm. thinking, okay, it's probably the blue light that's making my eyes tired. I'm going to invest in these, these, there's a company called Gunner that makes like gamer glasses that block blue light. I actually have, yeah, I have mine aren't aren't prescription, but and, and we're no, we're not being sponsored by Gunner. We just actually have these. But <laughs> you look like Sally Jesse good? Raphael. <laughs> yeah, this is there is so I don't know how the color is coming across, but the frames are actually like traffic cone orange. Uh no, again, nobody's seeing this except the cat and the dog, you know, so it's it's okay. Uh but yeah, I, I had some eye fatigue too. And I thought, Hey, blue light glasses are going to do it. They actually did for me. I mean, that's, that's quite good, but I didn't have the issue that you're talking about where you need actual lenses to see the world properly. In addition to blue light reduction. Then they offer Gunner offers prescription blue light blocking glasses. So I bought mm -hmm. them. I wore them for a long time. I didn't really notice that much of a difference though. So when I needed to get my prescription updated. I didn't get the gunners updated because I'm like, ah, eh, these things don't really do anything anyway. I'm not going to spend, they're, they're not cheap. They're a couple hundred dollars. I'm not going to spend another couple hundred dollars oh. on a thing that I don't really feel is working. So fast forward to <laughs> like last week when I've just, I'm at the end of my rope with the amount of trouble that I'm having with my eyeballs and like, <laughs> it's true, man. Like my eyes are tired. They hurt. I don't know how to describe it. They're like dry and it just sounds gross to talk about, but, but it's true. It's like a Visine commercial where they show eyes made of like cracking mud. Yeah. <laughs> desert eyes. My eyes are desert mud, cracking mud eyes. I have moisturizing eye drops that are like non-preservative and they were mm -hmm. recommended by the optometrist and all this stuff. It doesn't matter. Like it's not getting better. It's getting worse, in fact. So I recently learned, literally a couple of days ago, that while the blue, the blue light obviously is a problem, another problem is just wearing your full strength prescription glasses to stare at something that's only a couple of feet away. Because apparently what mm -hmm. happens is you don't need that full magnification to see something like this far away. So your eyes instead are trying to like adjust and make up for the magnification because it doesn't need to look far away. So you're using eyeball mm -hmm. muscles to literally focus on something that's not that far in lieu of your 
magnified glasses eyeballs. And it's just like incredibly tiring, like physically tiring. Literally, your eyeballs are just like working out all day trying to focus on something two feet away. And you're supposed to, the, the long story short is that you're supposed to get like a weaker prescription called like a close prescription that will allow you to see things in focus only a couple of feet away. But if you looked into the distance, it would be blurry because they're not strong enough to allow you to like read the eye chart on the other side of the room. So what you're saying here is that thousands of people who watched that video, the entire TC universe came together. We all clicked and your eyes didn't explode. That's all, that's all I'm hearing here. I mean, you can go through the science. You can go over prescriptions in, in, in you know, newfangled medicine. Go ahead. But I know what really happened. I know the truth. We all clicked. We saved your life. The reason that I'm bringing it up is because I feel like maybe, maybe you already know this. Maybe people already know this and it's common knowledge. It wasn't common knowledge to me. I didn't know this just until recently, and I feel like everybody should know this. And if somebody who's listening who knows a ton about this wants to correct me on this, by all means, please go ahead and do this. If I'm like spreading misinformation about like eyeball health, let me know. But as far as I know, my eye doctor <laughs> just told me two days ago that what I've been doing all these years, staring at a computer with my full strength prescription glasses has been a really bad idea. And I wish that I knew that like 10 years ago when I started working full time online. The physical wear and tear is tremendous. And it's like, uh, you know, the, the average career of, a, of an NFL running back is only a couple years. The average eyeball career of a YouTuber must be <laughs> like 36 months <laughs> instead of the, the running back's knees exploding <laughs> your eyeballs just melt out of your face at a certain point yeah they they just turn into the california raisins that we were talking about earlier <laughs> just like <laughs> which which how many people listening to this even know what they Dude. are because that campaign was like 1988 yeah i i was five or six about that age when that was going on um so, yeah, I mean, somebody brought up a movie in in the discord the other day. Uh, Hackers. You remember that yeah. that movie? And that was 1995. I'm like, oh, I remember being in middle school and seeing that in the theater. And they said, well, oh, I was born in 1997. I was negative two. I'm like, oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, uh, there's there's a strange amount of, of wear and tear. And the weird thing about being doing a solitary kind of thing which I want to mention something about because it's kind of relative to this. Uh, the solitary things, there's nobody next to you to point out any any of these solutions or problems. Nobody's seeing you strain your eyes. Like, I'm sure your face changed. Like, it was clear that you were straining. You never knew. You know, I'm sure you, that something like that was happening. And if you were in a regular office space, uh, somebody's going to be like, Hey, what's going on with your eyes? Uh, there's nobody to do that. I had, I don't know if you remember, but it was, it was last January. I had a month of splitting headaches. Do you remember me talking about that? Where every day it was like, Oh, give me an hour for these, this handful of, 
leaves and Tylenols to kick in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Every day was like that. Every single day. Yeah. I'd wake up. It didn't matter how much sleep I got, what I was doing. Uh, I just, I thought, well, maybe I'm dehydrated. You know, I'm pounding, you know, tons of water. Um, nothing is working. And the difference was that I got, uh, I got the, the awesome Mac desktop with the 27 inch retina in 96 K resolution that's powered by a nuclear reactor. And it was turned all the way up. You know, the, the uh, brightness was turned all the way up and my eyes, it just destroyed them. And I thought, Oh, maybe that's it. And put it way, way down low. And I haven't had any headaches since. Uh, I'm sure somebody could have looked at me and thought, like, oh, you're squinting and it looks like you're in pain as you're reading your email. What's that about? Or like your monitor is tanning my skin. It's probably too bright. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, but these things, these things totally happen all the time. And it honestly, it affects your work. It affects your mood. Um it derails the whatever you're working on, you know, projects. And you think uh, at a certain point, like maybe I don't actually like this job or this life and I don't want to do creative stuff. Uh, it's that significant. Like the, the weird little health related things are that significant to the overall thrust of it. But the, the point that I was going to make about it being the solitary thing, um, somebody on Twitter was talking about, uh, uh, aptitude tests as a related to career prospects. I don't know if you took one of those in high school. Um, we took them in 10th grade. It was part of the, the pre ACTs. They called it the plan test then. And you did this battery of, of answers. And it said, uh, what, what the careers you'd be most successful with mm -hmm. what they would be. It gave you three suggestions. Um, my number one suggestion was long haul trucker. Okay. And I thought I hadn't thought of this since, you know, like 20 years. Right. Um, until I saw that tweet and I thought, God, that is actually really, really close to what I do and what I've always done. The actual skill set and work isn't the same thing, but all the characteristics of something like being a long haul trucker are basically this kind of work, this YouTube kind of work. Uh, pretty much working alone. You have long, lengthy work sessions. Um, you don't have a traditional nine to five schedule, you know, it depends on the project that you're doing. Uh, you have to be comfortable with solitude. A lot of people aren't, a lot of people go nuts with that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that, that popped into my head thinking, uh, God, there are all these factors here that Really, it's not a lot different than uh, from driving a truck in 1996. So maybe when automation occurs and, you know, Elon Musk's Tesla trucks are driving themselves, long haul truckers will become YouTubers. They're absolutely prepared for it. Yeah. All they, all they need is like a three-day technical workshop and they're ready to go. They're ready to rock. Whoops. 
I just dropped a bag full of babies. Listen, a couple of weeks ago, I recommended that for your free audiobook, you get Dune because I am reading this book and I told you that I was halfway through it. Well, I'm still only halfway through it because I haven't read any of it since. This is my confession to you. But the good news here is that you have plenty of time to catch up to me if you download it right now. If you go to audibletrial.com slash the create unknown, you can get Dune, you can listen to it, and then we can talk about it in the Discord. The reason that I dropped babies is because of the idea baby gang. I have this Ziploc bag full of babies. Things will be happening in the future with the baby gang and these babies. For now, though, I just want you to go to audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. Download Dune. You can keep the book. It's a 30-day free trial. And then keep the book. Like, uh, you know, nobody's going to hunt you down and uh, smash your kneecaps or something. This isn't good, fellas. This is audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. I got to pick up these babies. But I want to just wrap this, wrap up our our personal like health stories with 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 the uh, <laughs> which is the most boomer thing. Most I'm going to interrupt thing. you because it's the most boomer thing it ever. Is. Is you hit it, hit an age like everybody here knows a million older people who constantly are just talking about their health problems. Yeah. So we've just become like we've just become eighty years old. We have. But listen up, all of you whippersnappers out there, if there's anything that I really want you to understand is if you have prescription glasses and you're staring at a computer all day, get a weaker prescription because it's going to mess up your eyes. Like, stop it. I, I've been napping every day like an 80-year-old, like, you know, <laughs> curled up with my Afghan on the couch. Not not literally. I mean, <laughs> I'm exaggerating. But I would have to lay down by like three or four o'clock because literally because of this problem of staring at the computer for, you know, eight hours, nine hours straight. You may not have thousands of people to click and save your eyeballs the way Kevin did. You probably don't. No. So it's absolutely critical that you pay attention to this because your eyes will explode. So I did order the close prescription with the blue light blocking technology. They'll be here in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I'll report back on how that's going and if I'm still in like eyeball Sahara Desert pain and et cetera. But I just I just hope that everybody out there who has glasses or if you don't, I mean, look, dude. Listen, you're you're laughing at me this whole time because I'm <laughs> I know I'm laughing I'm sort of laughing at you but I'm laughing at something else. All right, but but because like I'm a nerd with glasses and I'm talking about my glasses problems, <laughs> you know, like this. But meanwhile, you're you had like horrible headaches and needed to turn down the brightness of your monitor, so it doesn't matter whether or not you need glasses. Like it's not healthy uh, to be staring at the computer computer 70 hours a week. I can't help laughing at the fact that we've uncovered the least effective, most boring pitch ever, which is like, please join our discord to find out uh, sometime in October about the health of Kevin's eyes. <laughs> if you want an update on Kevin's eyesight health, please join and consider 
subscribing to the Patreon to find out about eyeballs. Well, listen, this is going to affect whether or not like Vsauce 2 and the Create Unknown even yeah. even can continue, you know, if I end up having to live out the rest of my days in like a dark room because <laughs> my eyes can't handle light anymore. Uh, that's really going to affect a you'll lot be of like, people. You'll be like LeVar Burton in, in the Star Trek series. You'll have to have some kind of visor. Yes. Which I always thought yeah, was cool. I, I see a lot of YouTubers. You know, maybe, yeah, a lot of YouTubers are going to look like that in 10 Maybe years. subconsciously I've been trying to get to uh, Jordy LaForge. <laughs> Jordy LaForge look. Look, let's get into the meme. We're not even going to have time to get into our meme. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into our meme that we saw yeah. Which is, going around yeah. Twitter. We just gave a bunch of good advice. Yeah. A bunch of good eyeball general yes. health advice. Right. Now let's talk about the worst advice ever. So a couple of weeks ago, I saw this tweeted a few times and by people that, you know, I'm following or in my network or whatever. And by a few times, I mean like this same quote was on different images, one of which was Morgan Freeman, as if Morgan Freeman said this, which he definitely didn't. It was just like, well, he didn't say this, no, you got to listen to Morgan Freeman because- He is the voice of God after all. But here's what it says. (laughs) The meme says, don't take criticism from people you would never go to for advice. So don't take criticism from people you would never go to for advice. Matt. I hate this. I hate it. I absolutely hate it, but I can't even criticize it because they didn't come to me for advice on making the meme, did they? So I have no right to criticize you them. You don't. Mind blown. You're locked out. You're locked out of criticizing this. Yeah. This is the antithesis, I think, of a lot of how we feel about developing um, and improving, especially online. But I mean, certainly this mm-hmm. can work in, in all fields, but- Definitely uh, for this to be like an online meme where people who work online are sharing it. I'm like, wow, how do you expect to get better at anything that you're doing by completely shutting down the people who are criticizing you? I mean, how many, first of all, here's a question. How many people do you go to for advice? How many? Uh, I bet there are fewer than five people who who I think of as being somebody who are the who's a go to person on advice on professional creative. I I bet there's five or six who I would, you know, call up or email or something like that. Beyond that, I don't know the people well enough. So so that core is extremely small, Uh, five or six people. It's really amazing if you have that. And I am absolutely blessed to have five or six experts who I can ask things to. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, uh, thousands will yield a better result than five. Well, of course. And the thing is, one of the first things that I thought of, you know, because obviously I'm just running this meme through through my own personal experience and my own lens, is when I first started on Vsauce, my energy was really flat was really Mm. low. 
And guess what? You can go check it out because it's on the internet. You can go, just go to Vsauce 1 and sort by, you know, oldest to newest. and <laughs> Sort by most boring videos ever. <laughs> so, There's a playlist that, that, that like puts people to sleep. Is it that bad? And that's just your early videos? Mine, mine are. I'm not throwing anybody else under the bus on this, but I'll throw myself <laughs> under the bus. You watch my old mind blow videos and just notice how boring I am as a presenter, mm. as a host of mm. information. Uh, it was mm. very kind of conversational instead of being like a, like being like a presenter. It, it was low energy. Yeah. It was like, Hey Vsauce, Kevin here. Uh, so check out this thing that happened. It wasn't like, mm. you know, this is mind blow and blah, 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 blah. That, that had to come from people complaining in the comments that I was boring, that I was really yeah. low energy, that I was, you know, not interesting to listen to. And it wasn't that mm -hmm. the things that I was showing were boring or that the script that I, you know, wrote for the episode was boring. It was that I was being a boring host and guess who wasn't going to tell me that? My friends and family, people that I would go to right. advice for would never say, hey, you know what your problem is, Kevin? Like this whole YouTube thing is like really cute. And I'm glad <laughs> that you think that uh, this is going to be a career for you. Uh, but you're really boring and really low energy and you need to fix that. They would never say that. There's zero chance mm. that like my mom is going to be like critiquing my performance in such a way that would be beneficial. She would just be supportive and think that it was great. And that's really important to have, not dismissing that mm -hmm. as an integral element of doing anything. You need to have a support system, but you also yeah. need people who you don't, <laughs> you're not going to go to advice for to give you helpful criticism and constructive criticism. Right. Right. That's, that's completely true. And we talked about this in a video at this point, uh, oh, it was, uh, excuse me. It was the one where, um, you made the matchbox computer, uh, with the Shrek chess game. Shrek's a pawn. Yeah. The game that learns. The game that learns. We talked about optimal progression in that being a mix of positive and negative feedback. This is honestly the way almost everything works. Uh, you've got to have both of those things. And it's very hard to find people who will give you the negative feedback in uh, a way that that fits, because, you know, we we talk to a bunch of people and have in the past about commenters and audience uh, being over the top and off the mark and rude and all of this stuff. Um, so finding somebody who's accurate with it is really tough. But. That negative feedback that pairs with the people who support you and, and reinforce the things that you're doing well, it is hugely important and it's extremely hard to find. It's very easy to find capable people who can reinforce what you're doing right and tell you to do more of that. That's good. It's tough to find the negative feedback, but we online have incredible access to crowdsourcing criticism. And that is the most underrated thing 
of all time. Absolutely underrated. And when I see a meme like that, uh, nobody thinks uh, I'm going to go to, you know, Fartbox73 for advice. But you have a thousand people with with screen names like Fartbox73 who Dude, Fartbox is really you. gross. <laughs> is, it, is it like a box that farts? Or is it a box filled with farts? <laughs> what is a fart box? Is this a musical There's so many directions you can go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a squeeze box. You should always write a good fart box slow low. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, crowdsourcing, <laughs> crowdsourcing the bad stuff that the people you work with and friends and uh, the boyfriends and girlfriends and all of that, what they don't want to say Oh, it is so, so useful. Uh, we were talking, I was talking to somebody who we're going to interview in a couple weeks about exactly this. And I, I forget the specific scenario, but he found something in his comments that he wasn't doing well or that lost people. Again, I forget exactly what it was, but it was a game changer when he realized that a few people uh, were picking up on this point. Uh he stopped doing that in his videos. He smoothed it over. That was gone. It paid off extremely well. You know, I think it might have been a content issue. It went in a certain direction. Vsauce 2 has benefited from some of that as well. And we talked a bit forever ago about it. A lot over the years. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, if if you have somebody in your life who you go to advice for that is candid with you and that will give mm -hmm. you that level of constructive criticism that is amazing and mm -hmm. you're really lucky i think that's very probably very rare to have that They're sort invaluable. of like mentorship like, congratulations i don't know how you found obi-wan kenobi but <laughs> like that's that's <laughs> awesome yeah. i don't think most people have that and even if you do i think there's an element of the fact that they know you so well and that you know them that muddies the waters or like can could taint the criticism in such a way where receiving it from somebody who knows nothing about you and is just giving you criticism on on a face value presentation or or, or prospect is not something to throw away or discard. Maybe they're wrong. Mm. And maybe you can dismiss their criticism as being not helpful to you in, in some regard. And maybe they're just trolls. Mm. And that's its own thing. Where, mm. yeah, if somebody is just trolling you and trying to get a rise out of you and trying to get you to notice them by being a jerk, well, that's, guess what? <laughs> that's That isn't really criticism that's really just right. kind of abusive online nonsense and i don't think that that should even be considered part of what real criticism is it isn't but it always gets lumped into that any sort of unsolicited feedback unsolicited advice seems to get the same label whether it's good bad uh useless useful it's just as long as somebody opens up and says something without you first having asked, it's like, oh, that that's a different kind of thing. But 
It's not. There are verticals within that uh, that are completely and totally separate. And when you can harness, when you can distill really actual criticism, even if it doesn't seem like many people share that or if it's you know unreasonable, um, it's usually real for that person. Uh, it's worth taking into account. You know, you have to make a decision about whether it's something that matters so much that you implement whatever you think about it. But the point is that you need to be open to it. You need to you need to put yourself out there uh, to find out this criticism, beg for it, and then sort through it. And a lot of it's going to be bad. You know, we, we talked about this with, um, I think, with Justine, you know, it was quite a while ago, but a lot of it's going to be bad. Uh, and, and you just have to throw that in the, the useless bin, you know, just get on past it and go to the things that aren't bad. Because when you find the gem, it's like Casey Neistat said, the thing that is most unsettling is if somebody rips him in a comment and he realizes that they're right. Like that's, and, and you need to be unsettled that way. You need to be kind of shaken where somebody is getting so deep into what you do, they're really hitting it so hard that they find something that you're not doing well and it shakes you. So that's going to stick with me forever when he said that. Like, yeah, I'm going to go, you know, damn, they're right. Oh, that is invaluable. That's the best thing in the world. And it almost always comes from somebody who you wouldn't go to for advice. <laughs> Somebody you couldn't possibly go to for advice because you don't even know who they are because their name is Fart. Their oh. name is Fartbox. <laughs> Fartbox seventy three. That's and right. I actually, you know, also think about this in terms of stand up comedians because mm. that's the entire game of doing stand up comedy. That entire craft is based around defying this idea because look. When Dave Chappelle or Jerry Seinfeld or Jim Gaffigan, George Carlin, whomever the stand-up comic is, goes out on stage, they, uh, look, they don't just write down jokes and then go record a Netflix special. It doesn't work that way. They have to work out the material for a really long time, so, like a full year often before the material is quote unquote ready to be recorded for the special. Like if you watch comedians in cars getting coffee, they talk about this all the time. And the craft of developing that material comes from the feedback of strangers, of people you can't possibly go to adv adv for advice because you don't know them, but they're the ones critiquing your work as a stand-up comic. And it's a really simple critique. Here it is. Is it funny or is it not funny? That's it. That's the critique. <laughs> if I put out a meme that said, only tell jokes to people who are definitely going to laugh at them, you would think it was the stupidest thing in the world. That's the dumbest possible advice. And it's kind of the same thing. Like, no, you, you tell the, the jokes to people who may not laugh at them and then find out why they didn't laugh. See what you can do differently, whether it's uh, talking about a different topic. Maybe what you're trying to joke about just isn't funny to people. Maybe it's your delivery. 
Maybe it's your timing. Who knows? But they're going to give you bad feedback, and then you figure out how that applies to what you're doing. And it's maybe tweaking it. It's tossing it, perhaps. Whatever it is, those are the most useful people, the ones who who think you stink. You know, it's like in... <laughs> It's in the the first the first Spider-Man movie. They're doing man on the street interviews, uh, the Tobey Maguire one. Right. And one of them is Jim Norton. And they ask him what he thinks of Spider-Man. And he's like, he stinks and I don't like him. <laughs> and that's Jim Norton in the entire movie. That's his only line in it. But it's awesome. Well, it's important to know who thinks you stink <laughs> and, you know, and find out why. Uh, then you can stink less or you can avoid the things that make them think you stink. Uh, just a, a, a ton of different ways around it. But you've got to have that. And the faster you embrace that criticism and then start implementing it, the faster you stop sinking. You start to suck less and you start to suck less faster. This is huge. Absolutely huge. You know, I used to see it with writing when I was younger and I was working with people who were college age on on uh, their writing. Um, a lot of them had done really well in high school. Uh, they had, you know, been some of the better writers in their classes. And so it didn't even occur to them that that they weren't amazing. You know, they never had they never had any feedback mechanism that said, oh, this page really could have been two sentences instead. It just was kind of boring. It lost me. Um, some had a little bit of that, but not to the extent that that you really need. Uh, and so it took them it took them a while to get used to that kind of criticism. They'd never had it, but oh my God, did they progress quickly? That's the the best part of it. Once they were like, oh, oh, I, I can see how this could be better. Then in the course of one semester, they went from being mediocre to really, really good. So they had it in them the whole time. They just needed it to be refined. They'd had lots of the positive feedback, but they'd either ignored or not had access to a lot of that really critical negative feedback. And the, the twisted thing here is that the negative stuff is the is paradoxically the most positive. Yeah, I remember my first my first film professor, she taught through criticism. Like if you made whatever the project was, you know, you need to make a 30 second commercial. You need to make a, a short film. You need to make like an action sequence, whatever it was. There was no praise to go around because it's a big class. There are a lot of projects. There's not a lot of time. So she could only spend so much time with each group or with, with, with each student so that time was spent saying, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Now, look, I would say that's somebody I would go to advice for. So, you know, maybe that doesn't play into the, the meme criticism, mm -hmm. but it is to say that you do need criticism to develop because all of this stuff is a negotiation. Being a YouTuber is a negotiation. Being a stand-up comedian is a negotiation. Being a human being in society is a negotiation between what you think. We're getting mad. I know, well, look. Yeah, this, this just blew up. This is like meaning of life level stuff. This is it's good. It's seriously a negotiation between what you think and what the people around you think and what people who don't know you think. 
of what you're doing, no matter what it is, whether it's like how you're behaving at the bank or it's your latest YouTube video about your Fabergé egg collection. You can have what you think is good and what your family and friends think are good and people who know you think is good. And then you have what people who do not know you and don't care about you and have no stake in your feelings think. And somehow you need to negotiate between those two things and and blend both to create something that really works. Because if you're just, you know, doing things like it reminds me of was it Big Daddy where the Adam Sandler movie, Big Daddy, did you ever see that? Well, yeah. A, a long, long time, time ago. ago. I know. So I don't remember it well. Yeah. But at some at, at <laughs> some point, the kid like comes out of the bathroom wearing like flippers. He's dressed like very yeah. bizarrely. And he he says that his new name is like Frankenstein. That's right. right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's not really a good idea to like walk to, you know, a job interview wearing like scuba Steve flippers and introduce (laughs) yourself as Frankenstein. If you want to, you know, work the register at McDonald's or uh, Mm -hmm. be an insurance agent, like at some point Mm -hmm. there has to be some interplay between like your personality and the expectations of people who don't know or care about you. Yep. And one of the cool, really cool results of, of thinking about it this way is that when you get all the negative criticism and decide that you still want to do what you do your own way, then you have a purpose for doing it and you really own that purpose. And I think of uh, one of your guys, Kurt Cobain, who I'm sure was told over and over and over, your songs blow. Why don't you just do like Guns N' Roses covers? You know, when when he was coming up, um, I, I'm sure that he was pushed and pulled in poppier directions all the time. Uh, well, he rejected a lot of that criticism and absolutely owned the style of art that that he wanted to do. And I'm sure that he had a lot of confidence in what he was doing with Nirvana. You know, I don't think he probably ever, you know, he had, he was all over the place in a lot of different areas, but uh, it seemed to me like he had a pretty clear sense of what Nirvana and their music were about. And that kind of thing is, is the result of dealing with the criticism, processing it through, whether it's taking it to heart, accepting and implementing it, or saying, yeah, okay, I really don't want to do that. I don't want to play like top 40 pop singles. So, you know, forget that. I'm going to I'm going to do, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit instead, which turns out to be massively popular anyway cuz it's so unique and so good. Yeah, well, he he blended like his big influence growing up were the Beatles. And the Beatles were, mm-hmm. you know, the poppiest band they invented in some ways like like bands pop music and right. then he blended that with kind of like the pol- the punk anti-authoritarian kind of crazy loud screaming music that was purposefully not commercial like the 
the poison and the the motley crews of their day in the right. 80s and meshed those two things where it was like, you know, the poppy kind of verse chorus first music is palatable and and good and people like that, but also you know, I want to be anti-authoritarian and uh, a punk and whatever and merge those two things to create something new. So you're right. I think that the trick is often to figure out how to implement your own unique personality into something mm-hmm. that people can understand who don't know you. And there's no way you're ever going to do that it's impossible if you don't listen to people who you wouldn't go to advice for. Nope. Nope. It will not happen. Uh, to reiterate what you said, you've got to process that stuff through. You absolutely have to have to go through all of it, the positive and the negative. And each time you do that, you get you further hone what you're actually doing and how you feel about what you're doing. Every time there's a positive thing, like, oh, I'm I'm glad it works out that way. I feel good about having done this. I'm going to do a little more of it or I'm going to keep doing it, you know, rather than do less. If it's a really negative thing, it's like, ah, maybe I should change that. Maybe I don't want to change that. And now I'm even stronger in in my belief about what I'm doing and why. Like, There's no way to lose here. There's absolutely no way to lose as long as you take this criticism and process it through. You're absolutely going to be stronger. And if you ignore all the the advice from the people that you never go to for advice, you're probably not going to get anywhere useful. It's it's probably not going to happen, first of all. If it does, it's going to take forever because you're just kicking to the curb the value of that negative feedback, which, as we talked about in uh, the game that learns, like this makes things much, much slower. Uh, So it's either not going to happen or happen very slowly. And even if it does... Is it really going to be you if you haven't gone through every possible exercise about your values, your attitudes, why you're doing the little things you're doing from technical to conceptual and philosophical? Like even we talked about this with our first episode, why we're doing a show like this, why we're building the community the way we are, why we do something like a Patreon, why we'd spend like 12 hours a day in the discord like that's a reflection of our values, our approach, our vision, all of that happened. All of that happened from a mix of positive and negative feedback, from reading literally tens of thousands of comments on Vsauce 2 videos and understanding how the people we know and make content for, how they process that content, what they like, what they need, and how it matches up with who we are and who we want to be so that we can be happy doing these things to make them happy. All of this happens because we didn't go to any of those people for advice. They came and shouted it at us and we listened, thought about it, rejected a bunch, implemented a bunch, and it's awesome. So there you go. I mean, that's, that's, that sums it up, man. It's like, that's why the, the two of us just had such visceral, guttural, terrible reactions when we, when that meme popped, because it just seemed like the worst advice. It just seemed like this is mm-hmm. the exact opposite philosophy of what people should be 
implementing into their lives in terms of trying to improve and trying mm-hmm. to learn and trying to grow and trying to continue to develop no matter what it is that you're doing. You're just limiting yourself impossibly if you're only going to learn from like your grandma. Like that's a really mm. small sample size. <laughs> that's a that's a really small sample size. And the people who are supporting you, if, even if they're professional, if they're peers, they're going to err on the side of reinforcing the good stuff uh, because number one, that's valuable. We talked about that. Like you've got to have it. So we're going to start there. And oftentimes you don't give enough attention to the negative things or you really want to be safe with the way you deliver them. And so you don't get to them quickly enough or in depth enough. Um, and this is something I, you know, I, I the guy who who I mentioned will be a future guest. Um, he's in he's in a world where it's quite a bit different than ours. Um He's dealing with with things like money from donors that fund a big organization. He's dealing with an audience that is responding to the type of content that makes donors say, yeah, we'd like to support this project. Uh, Like you're getting criticism of all types from all sides and you have to balance it in such a way that uh, my screen pops. It's him. And it says, so dot, dot, dot. What are we going to talk about? (laughs) While we're literally talking about him. (laughs) That's that's what we're talking about him. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But there's this weird juggling and balance that goes on. But I have it. You have it. I mean, how long did it take for us to get comfortable on the criticism? Yeah. On the the two types. Yeah. it's, it's a, a juggling thing that it takes forever to figure out, but you have to start doing it so that you can figure out how to handle it, process it efficiently, and actually get somewhere. You know, it just, it, it killed me. I see this, me, you sent it to me. I remember waking up to that because I slept in a little bit later. I woke up and I'm still in bed and I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. This is horrible. This is the absolute worst possible thing you could tell somebody. It is the opposite of what works. Everything I know about getting to a good place is is upside down in like the nine words presented here. It's it's insane. <laughs> this is why I wanted to bring it up because I knew you were just going to go on a tirade about it because it is so antithetical to all of the things that we talk about and have developed and I know works. And no works. Yeah, because the, by the way, the extended episode is seven hours of me continuing to talk about (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) It's seven hours of me being angry about a meme. (laughs) No, that's not true. What is true is that, you know, I'll have to hear about it in like Slack later as you continue to be mad about this meme. I think that sums up the meme. We are going to continue the discussion though in the extended episode. You brought up. Nirvana and Kurt Cobain earlier. That's something that I will be getting into because Bass Weight mentioned yeah. that he's a self-admitted music nerd and wants to know what album is most important to each of us. So, you know, spoiler alert, uh, I think that you you, you may know mine, <laughs> but I'll go into the details about it on the other side of our wormhole. Can we point out, though, that uh, Bass Weight dropped a track on us the other day? That was absolutely fantastic. Uh, he linked us. So, so he popped in the discord and linked us to his SoundCloud. Um, 
And, you know, say, oh, yeah, I do music stuff. Just doing that get to know you talk. Uh, So, yeah, he links to it. And I play the track. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. And he gave us uh, he gave us permission to uh, to throw a sample on on the transition here on the way out. And so we'll pop his link down in there. If you like the theme that that we've got on this show, if you're into the retro wave, synth wave, stuff like that, this song's cool. It, it, I, I was blown away. You know, I was blown away. And there are just there are tons of people like him in the discord uh, that are doing different things. If they're not creators, they're appreciating different things and talking about that, which is awesome. It's that feedback stuff we've been talking about. So pop in the Discord, uh, consider joining the Patreon. That's always awesome. We'd love to have you and get to know you. But at least jump in the Discord and say, hey, because we've got some incredible people in there who surprise us with good YouTube videos, uh, great art. We have a channel for that art, too. Uh, And then tracks like the one we're going to play. Yeah, so we'll listen to Bassweight's music. Thank you so much for listening to The Create Unknown. We're going to extend the conversation with uh, our uh, patreon.com slash the create unknown experience. But for now, until then, you are about to exit the create unknown. See you, Space Cowboys. Thanks for listening to the create unknown. You can unlock the rest of this episode by signing up at patreon.com slash the create unknown. And if you do it right now, you'll get the rest of August 2019 for free. As long as right now is still August of 2019. Anyway, you'll get to hear the rest of our conversation, as well as unlock the ad-free RSS feed, get exclusive content, join the Idea Baby Gang, and much, much more. So fully enter the Create Unknown by going to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. If you liked what you heard, and I certainly hope that you did, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review on Podchaser and Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really go a long way. While you're at it, you can also watch the video version of this show on youtube.com slash thecreateunknown. Check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. You can get the full episode. You can join the Idea Baby Gang, become one of the known access creator services. There's a lot going on on our Patreon. It's all part of phase three of TCU. So go to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Follow us on social media. We tweet at createunknown. We're on Facebook and Instagram at thecreateunknown. You can follow me, Matt, and the show on Podchaser for podcast updates. You can also find a link to our Discord in the show notes. We love our Discord because we get to talk to you and you get to talk to us. So join our Discord. Our website is thecreateunknown.com. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production. We've been your hosts, Kevin Lieber and Matt Tabor. Check out what we do on YouTube at Vsauce2 and on Twitter at KevLieb and TaborTCU. Links in the show notes. Executive producer is Dave Kiney. Our theme song is by the incredible Mega Drive. Special thanks to Paula Lieber, Mo Lewitt, and Dorothy Kiney. Until next time, see ya, Space Cowboys.
Once again, this episode was brought to you by Audible. Pick up your free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash thecreateunknown. Do it. Your brain and your ears will thank you. Patreon.com slash the create unknown. It's like an elephant for your ears. That makes no sense.